everyone, and welcome to episode four of Directorial Debuts, our mini-series, side-series, spin-off thing that we're trying. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. I hope you guys, whenever this is going up, are enjoying it. This is the show where we take a director's uh, debut, exactly, their first movie, and we break it down, their uh, filmography, their you know reference points, basically just do like a long solo spoiler review, just, you know, us and you guys, whoever's listening out there, and we hope that you guys will tune in and maybe even explore more of this director's work as well. Uh, just as we have with the series. My name is Brandon King. I am one of the hosts of the series, as well as Plot Devices. You can check out our main show on this channel. Uh, if you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that's Plot Devices. Check it out there. Also joining me is my co-host, Noah Guzman. Noah, how are you? I'm doing fine today. I um, decided that we are going to be a entertainment slash legal um, podcast because I take notes on a legal pad now. So that means our podcast is better than yours and the ones that you listen to. Well, mom, I finally going to law school, I guess. <laughs> but uh, otherwise... I'm having a great time, Brandon. I'm especially excited to talk about this feature because I am always happy when we talk about queer movies. We are talking director of The Half of It and um, writer of Over the Moon, and they take director and writing credits for this film. We are talking Saving Face today. Joan Chen. Michelle Kruzik. Ma. Beautiful. Saving face. Just to provide you a short description, and then we can get into the introduction to this movie. We can learn about who has seen it before, or if this is their introduction to it, because it was mine, Brandon. I'm not sure if it was yours, but we'll get into that. Uh, let me tell you what this movie's about. Uh, like I said, Alice Wu takes uh, both directing and writing credits, and we are focusing on the character of Wilhelmina. Pang, who also goes by the name Will, who wants to live her life. Uh, they're in their early adult life. Um, they don't have any financial struggles. They don't really have any crisis of faith, but she's got a very involved family. Um, they see her in her early, early adult single years as missing out on all this potential to find a partner, um, to find a heterosexual partner um, and start building a family and really live up to the honor that their, her family expects out of her. Uh, they try to set her up with multiple uh, suitors, as, you, as you'd call them. And then life gets um, some adjustments for Will when she meets Vivian, the dancer, a family friend who enters her life. Life and they go on this romantic adventure throughout the movie. Um, but alongside this romantic adventure is Will's mother, who must move in as she is a new pregnant expecting mother. And essentially, she's excommunicated from the larger family. So we have two plots here. Um, I would say it felt like a A and B plot, but then the more I watched it, the more it felt like these two things kind of intertwine and they become a singular story about um, this mother-daughter relationship as they're exploring family prejudice, um, homophobia, and I think just maturing together, even though uh, one of them is, of course, it, there's an age gap there, but there's also like an emotional maturity gap that uh, you get to explore. Um, and you wouldn't expect to have that kind of relationship with your parent as they move in with you when you're already in your late 20s. And um, by the way, Will is a surgical, uh, professional surgical doctor. So she is a surgeon. So she is well off in her life and she didn't expect her mother to kind of drop in. But how could she turn her mother away? The type of shame her family would would react to this um brandon have you seen um saving face before and if so uh, what has been your reactions to returning to it and then how do you uh, familiarize yourself with Wu as a director as a writer throughout their career 
I'd always heard about it, uh, both from a perspective of, you know, Asian American cinema as well as queer cinema, both angles I think we're going to discuss in this. I, like you, I think was more familiar with the half of it, which is her sequel successor that came out just at the beginning of the pandemic. Unfortunately, got swallowed behind a lot of, you know, early pandemic content. Spoiler alert, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I do actually think it's better than this, and we might actually discuss that considering it half of it is actually a spiritual sequel to this movie in that it's two different facets of Alice Wu's semi-autobiographical language and writing employed in both of these. But no, Saving Face I hadn't actually seen. I just heard a lot about it. As we move through the plot of this movie, of course, this is spoiler-filled podcast episode. So if you're looking for something that doesn't have any spoilers, pause this right now, go watch it, and then come back. Um, <laughs> for those of you still with us, uh, we can pretty much talk about how Will is... Um, Will is gay. Will uh, attracts women and Will wants to have relationships with women. But to her family, they have um, they have their reservations around Will's um, homosexuality, even though we're at a we're entering Will's life at a point where she has already been like caught with a woman by her mother. So this is kind of like the hushed secret as we're watching it. But as we're watching this movie, we really are it's a balancing act for um, Will's mother, who we just call Ma throughout the movie. And she is portrayed by uh, Joan Chen. Um, amazing performance from her. I actually loved her character throughout watching this. Um, but we see her kind of balance her own prejudices against her daughter. Meanwhile, the grandpa and grandma are, like I said, excommunicating Joan because she is going to bring a baby into this world who, without a husband. Brandon, what are some major themes that you felt from this movie? You know, we are talking homophobia and this idea of shame. And um, I think just like generational pressure that we receive from our grandparents who expect uh, or from the grandparents who expect uh, their uh, the generations that come after them just to live the same lives and fulfill the same routines. Well, we're also talking about the title of the movie, which is the idea of face and the idea of putting on something to support someone else's idea of what that means. In this case, the idea of Gao, who is the mother, again, played by Joan Chen, who I agree is brilliant in this. Uh, all three of them, I think, are really good in this. But I think the idea of Gao specifically and her idea of conflicting between two worlds, because yes, the movie is from primarily Will's perspective. And yet I think Gao is as much a co-lead as any could possibly be. You know, we talk about the idea of the dueling plot lines in this. And I don't think you can really have one without the other. I don't think you can have you know, Gao's sense of pregnancy without Will's supportiveness. And I don't think you can have Will's struggle with her relationship with uh, with this dancer if you don't have the mother there as... Because again, the grandparents, for all intents and purposes, are played mostly antagonistic up until like the very, very end. Her mother is much more complicated. You, you know, you mentioned already that she kind of, sort of, probably already knows about Will's sexuality. So there's already that awkwardness there. But I like how the film manages this balancing act between... Yes, the two storylines, but primarily it's two lead characters, which, like you said, could so often just split into one or the other. So Will is uh, belongs to a Chinese family. She's Chinese, and she has a neighbor who is a close friend and confidant of hers. His name is Jay. Jay is black. And when uh, Will invites Jay over to uh, to have dinner with her and her uh, live-in mother now, um, we get to, we experience this like the, this racial. Um, charge statements that Will's mother makes. And we can't forget that like there is this uh, concept 
exemplified here of, you know, you can be a minority and still experience like racial pressures from others, other communities. And I, I like that she fit that in there because it just made it all too real and made me appreciate that Wu is taking specific uh, scenarios and still fixing them into this story. Um, I like the meet cute between Vivian and Will. Uh, it's at a vending machine where <laughs> Will freezes because <laughs> uh, Vivian kind of pops up out of nowhere. Uh, we'll find out why, but Vivian kind of pops up out of nowhere and offers to help and like get close to um, Will as she's picking out her snack for the day. Um, I thought that that was a really fond moment. And we learned later that Vivian is actually um, the daughter of Will's boss, the like the lead surgeon there. So that just, you expect that to complicate things further. But I think what that really does is just um, position Vivian to look at Will and eventually her father and it sucks because like they both have the same professional obligations. And I think Vivian like experiences that later on. Well, Will is always occupied, always stretched in three different directions at once. And um, just credit to Wu's writing, because all of this can be felt pretty easily based on like the scenes that she's created. Do you recognize Jay from anywhere? Do I recognize Jay from anywhere? Oh my gosh. I don't blame you don't. if you don't, but no, I don't. Jay played by uh, Atto Sandal. Uh, he actually is the guy, if you remember the last Jason Bourne movie, he's the guy who has the famous meme line, Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. So (laughs) that's him. He has the famous meme line, Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, I look on his IMDb now, his name is Craig Jeffers. Um, How did you notice that pretty, like, pretty quickly? Well, no, because I saw him in the first scene. I'm like, I know you from somewhere. And then I looked up his name to be like, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Who's this Craig character? Oh, okay. And even funnier is that uh, Jessica Hecht, who plays uh, Randy, who's another nurse working with Will, she's actually Susan from Friends. Yes. And she's in the amazing Hulu series, um, The the Sinner. And I think I recognize... I recognized her, uh, just, just her face and her beautiful long hair alone. I was looking at her and I was like, who, I was like, why does she look so familiar? And she has, she just delivers in a way that you're like, oh, she's going to be, she's going to be a character that's involved throughout the story. And no, she pops up like here and there for maybe two or three scenes. Um, but she has such excellent line delivery. Like, yeah, I definitely liked watching her. And I, and she was one person from the, um, movie that I recognized from another, uh, project. We should, we should uh, going back to that, to Will and Vivian for a second. Uh, Will, I don't think we mentioned Michelle Crucier plays her. You might know from things like Hollywood and, you know, a couple of things like that. Uh, they're delightful in this. And I think every dynamic of theirs is explored beautifully and nuanced. Alice Wu knows how to examine romantic relationships, specifically lesbian relationships, in this really kind of uncomfortable, but really deep and twee, but not to the point of, like, annoyance kind of way. And, like, every facet of their relationship is explored good and bad, and I was so impressed by that. Like, to the point where, you know, most movies would have, like, a month, and, you know, Alice Wu has gone on record saying, like, this is the rom-com that I wanted to make on a string, on a shoestring budget. And, like, most rom-coms like that would have a montage of, like, them getting ice cream or, like, going on a bike ride in the park. And, like, this one has a montage of, like, her turning her down to do, like, surgery jobs. Like, that's just the kind of movie we're dealing with. But it's a movie that recognizes that none of its characters are perfect, but they kind of don't have to be. And I love the beauty in that. I want to mention as well, this is an excellent movie just in exploring um, the city that it's captured in because I took a college course that was like, it's called Cities and Cinema, you know, Forks Up, Sun Devil. Um, And it was all about exploring different, uh, through movies, um, exploring different cities and the types of environments they capture just 
you know, without it even being the focus, like we talked, um, the, uh, it's, oh, we, I think we even talked about the director, but it's the city of God. And then we talked about uh, Z town. That was another one. And, um, being a cinephile, are you, do you know this one? It's like, I think it's called Chloe from nine to five or Chloe from five to seven. One of those. The name is similar. I don't know what it is. It might not even be Chloe. I could be misidentifying <laughs> it completely. But that being said, watching Saving Face, I really did admire just being in the city because it didn't feel like any location was super tired. And we even have uh, multiple scenes where we're on public transit. And uh, being a movie from 2004, uh, to be openly gay and like in the city, it's a struggle for Will to even kiss Vivian on the lips in in a park like that is something that she struggles with um and not something that we really that's not as major a subject that we see in cinema today uh because of the acceptance around um queer relationships and um listening to alice who speak about this movie uh her hope was just that you know she created this so that it was so that it could set a new standard or so that it could be like the new norm that you could see it because i don't think that it would be as um, I think it would be more embraced had it come out in a time of today, as opposed to when it did come out in 2004. So um, just, you know, all the kudos and all the, all the power to Alice Wu for, for being a, a, one of the leaders in that change and including an all Chinese cast, um, which was uh, like I said, all their performances were, were beautiful. Getting to the idea of like Alice's actual story, which is actually really fascinating. Like I say that with every talk about it oh, this director's fascinating no like alice is, is actually fascinating like she worked for microsoft for like a number of years and then basically got a chance to not fund this but like rediscover her artistic craft and was like okay i need to make this i'm giving myself a timeline to do it she moved to new york she started working on this and then just randomly got in the hands of like will smith's production company who was like yeah go ahead and do that and it kind of got through with that and you mentioned the idea of an all chinese cast she's actually gone on record and said oh there was push as i think we probably assumed that there was pushback to, you know, make the lead woman white or maybe like place in a different environment. And you're right, without Will and Vivian and Gao and the environment of Flushing, which, side note, is a real neighborhood in New York, which is primarily Asian dominated. Like you look at that environment and the way that Alice loves and respects and is able to develop that world of Flushing. It's just a fascinating place to watch, let alone to actually experience on an emotional level. And I think that distinctiveness really sets it apart. You know, one thing did break my heart in watching this, and that was seeing the mother who, for some reason, she's like going to a video store and studying like (laughs) she kind of thinks about it for a second, but she grabs one of the porno films and then goes home and watches it. Which, sorry, I just need to bring this up. So Joan Chen broke out in like Western audiences by playing uh, the female lead in The Last Emperor, which she sees on the video shelf. And I'm like, ah, you sneaky. I know why you're doing that. <laughs> that's clever. I know that's what Brandon's here for, folks. He's got that knowledge. Um, I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but it broke my heart because, Brandon, we're not going to get video store scenes anymore. Like they're, they're a thing of the past. Unfortunately, you can do just so much of what called you out of your home and made filmmakers go like, oh, yeah, like, you know, there's all these different settings. If you took it in modern day, like, oh, my gosh, you can stream everything everything at home you can have everything dropped off at your door like how boring <laughs> when it comes to like sets and things you can explore so um i can see why like the 2000s is going to be a period where eventually when we're like decades and decades further from it i want to know like how many directors actually um like they choose that for their piece for their historical not historical but for their time setting because of how much you had to do outside of the home 
Um, and yeah, that was just something that I, that I recognize as like, oh, like a video store. Like I, I got to savor these scenes while they're here. Cause nowadays they're just not there. I think that Ma, even though she, she does have her cruel moments because that's the character that she is. I think performance wise, I was always attached to what she was delivering because as soon as she shows up in, on Will's doorstep and it is holding a box of like charming toilet paper and you know, you name it, she's wearing sunglasses, having been posted there for like hours. And she's not even telling her daughter that, Hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> it's just hilarious to me. And she pulls off that character who is so like uh, self-conscious, but still condescending to the, even the people that love her. Um, she, she just gives, she delivers that so well. And uh, I think I started to um, really pay attention to her once um, Will starts setting her up on dates because uh, Will does tell her like, Hey, like you're not too old to date uh, regardless of what you think, because Gao has this idea that she's 48 and that's so close to 50 and women in 50, you know, who are we to date? And it's, it's just hilarious because all of this just stems from their um, the people in their community and um, the belief that like, you know, that you need to act a certain way by a certain age. And you like, you just apply all of this heavy pressure and expectation that ultimately people are going to like go crazy. Um, and they do go crazy um, towards the end of the movie, but uh, she handles that pressure and makes me feel that pressure so well. I don't know if you thought the same because I, you, you like all the performances, but did you find one to be send out? Joan Chen, I think easily, because we should also mention this movie is both in English and Mandarin. It kind of bounces the two. And I think whether it's because she doesn't get a lot of English dialogue or because Wu just knows how to use Chen as a talent, she gets the most facial acting. So she gets a lot of reactions, a lot of kind of physical performance out of her acting. Will is very, you know, uh, Michelle Kruziak's Will is very, you know, internalized, very dialogue heavy, very kind of relying on her voice. And Joan Chen as Gao is much more outward, but also not necessarily vocal wise. And I like how she is able to take that performance, Alice Wu, I should say, and be able to turn it into the film's most fascinating pillar. And I'm glad that you brought up the idea of, you know, the, the stereotypes behind older women, because I love how since Alice makes Will a doctor, the immediate next scene afterwards is Vivian going like, can she even get pregnant? And was like, yeah, that's the thing. I don't know why we don't think that it, you can totally get pregnant at that age. Um. Oh my gosh. The scene. So they're in like a clinic for expecting mothers. And of oh, course, yeah. And so it's Will and her mother. And, you know, and I think the immediate assumption is like, oh, you know, there's there's will she must be pregnant or expecting and then there's her mother to support her lovely and so there's side conversations that these characters around them are having and (laughs) it's not until they're called into the office that they're told um by the nurse or by whoever calls them by the associate they're like oh no like we'll we'll just take the patient you know we're not going to have anybody else in the room and everybody looks at will and is so shocked that she's the one who sits back down and then gao is the one who follows them into the room and then everyone's head in that room uh, (laughs) i'm pretty sure even the receptionist like everybody's turning to look at will and judge them and for what like for what for your disbelief it's just it's all hilarious and i think it's a special kind of like of course it's a comedy but it's not one that's going to have you like immediately like horsing over with laughter because the joke was so on the nose it's like no these are more like uh, situational type comedies um that i definitely felt the more the further i got into the movie i realized the comedy that it was going for 
Yeah, it's funny. Like Wu and her cinematographer, who forgive me if I'm butchering his name, Harlan Bozmajan, I believe. I'm not familiar with his work, but they do that quite a few times in this movie where they'll do a scene and then they'll cut almost like Seinfeld style where they'll go to a moment and then just cut away from it. Whether it's a scene in the hospital or it's um, young Wu delivering herbs on the train, just like, oh, yeah, I know morning sickness. Close the train. We're out of there. Or like that happens a lot of times in the movies. And I like how Wu is so matter of fact about the idea of just like, nope, like you wouldn't linger on this. This is kind of just how life goes. And this is how I want to tell my story. And it's a weirdly create. I shouldn't say weirdly. It's a really creative moment that I don't think gets addressed a lot unless you're like in very specific filmmaking. And so it was just something I picked up on. We haven't talked too much about um, Will as a character. So there's one note that I had to say, and that was that. Um, so there's two things here. One, I wish that um, regarding the scenes Will is involved in, of course, she's the main character, so we're following her, following her everywhere. But that being said, every setting that we have her in, like every social setting, it's either with Vivian where um, she's playing um, the distracted romantic who really wants to make time for Vivian, but doesn't have that time available to her and doesn't have the freedom to do it in public when they can hang out. And then when she's with her family, she, she's the, she's the child. Like she has to conform or she does conform for much of the movie to what her family expects of her. Um, maybe with some light pushback here and there, but what I really wanted to see was more scenes um, on that rooftop where her and her neighbor Jay were able to just be themselves and really just exhale with each other because I think that that could give a little more depth to Will's character. Um, Cause how I, I felt experiencing the movie was she wasn't um, the, the most I got from her was understanding her through her relationship with Vivian and she wasn't discovering herself with Vivian. I just felt that when she was with her, she was able to release any inhibitions she had over like what felt right. And if she could do that publicly, I think we could get some excellent moments from her character. Um, but this story is telling um, a longer, uh, a longer love struggle. So we, we don't get that moment until uh, the very final scene of the movie. Um, but I felt I, I was desiring just a little more will out of this movie. Brandon, how did you feel regarding will? See, I think will has developed as well enough. I think Vivian is the underdeveloped to do. Uh, I think her character, and I'll, I'll comment on Will first. Like, I think Will, you know, going back to earlier, you know, she's closed off, she's shy, but she clearly has an affection that she wants to pursue, and she clearly has invested relationships in her life, whether it's with her mother, with Jay, and who I'm glad you brought up again. But like, the idea of Will being underdeveloped, I think, is less involved in that and more in how Alice Wu writes the movie, which is that half the movie is dedicated to her mother and to helping her. I think that's more a reflection of Will's character as a whole, like. She wants to be that. She wants to, you know, go out and see the world and just, you know, go to Paris with Vivian and just like live their, you know, happy lesbian lives. But at the same time, like she kind of can't. She's tied to her culture and her mother who, you know, needs her. And then obviously her grandmother gets sick. So that's a whole nother thing. There's just a lot of, she has the excuse of like, oh, there's a lot going on in my life. And there actually is. And it's kind of why I forgive some of the less outwardness of the character, at least in the first half of the movie. And I wanted to hear your notes uh, regarding Vivian. Oh, right. I'll, um, Vivian is good. Um, and that's not a disrespect to Lin Chen at all. Like she's very good in this. Like she has, she's more out there. She's clearly like, you know, the queen of her hive, so to speak. We see like her outside with like her dance buddies and, you know, trying to invite Will over to things and trying to relieve the pressure on her, so to speak. Like I enjoy that. But at the same time, like she's a dancer who we never see dance, which is kind of a weird choice in the movie. Yes. I was, thank you for bringing that up. I think that that sat in the back of my mind watching this was, 
like Vivian, the dancer. And then she's, um, she's more adapted to like contemporary or modern dance over ballet. And that's like a, a comment that they make in the movie, but we never see her dance. And it feels like, and again, I don't want to say it's a bad choice, but it feels like a choice to solely put the focus on like what Asian communities and what older generations value in terms of, you know, high arts, that kind of thing of like, oh, she's not in ballet anymore. So we don't care. Like that kind of, but you can do that with a lot of different things. And I, I know that Lin Chen has said before, like, oh, I didn't want to have to learn to dance, which is totally understandable. It's a big skill. But like at the same time, like it's one of the things that I wish we had seen to get an investment of like, well, what does she do when she's not with Will? Because you're right. So often in the movie, it's tied to either Will or Gao's journey. And Vivian, who is kind of in there as like a third squeezed in lead, like there's the dinner table scene that I look to as an example of that. But Vivian as a whole, I think is there. She's clearly giving her effort to the relationship, but she isn't given a lot of focus in the context of the movie. Brandon, if there's something I love, I was going to say thank you for bringing up the the dinner scene because that that's something I love a good dinner scene of like conflicting characters finally meeting. Um, it, it, there's so many movies you can you can bring up as examples of like that being the moment that like things boil over. And for us as viewers, this is the moment where potentially Gao is going to be reminded that yes, her daughter is queer, and this is a developing relationship that she has as a woman with another woman who is um who is openly gay, um and. All, all the while I'm laughing because yes, it's a little tense, but the whole time Will is just scarfing down her food and not even allowing herself to think about the situation. Uh, so I, I adored that. Um, Which at, Brent, it's funny because at first that's played as a joke because we get so, kind of like an Encanto vibe where like, you know, um, the Bruno like, scene. Yes, exactly. A little bit because it's that idea of just, you know, oh, how funny is it that she's, you know, scarfing down her food and just trying to ignore things. And then as Wu like lingers on the scene and lingers on their faces more, you realize, oh, this isn't a joke. Like this should be going somewhere and none of them are instigating it. Do you want to talk about uh, the developing relationships for the mother and how that ultimately wraps up? Yeah. And actually you reminded me of, um, you reminded me of another point I wanted to make, which is the idea of going back to the idea of debunking stereotypes, that whole kind of speed dating sequence, which I think is kind of funny. Like it's one of the more lighthearted bits of the movie, but I like how in an, in another movie and in the movies that Wu is clearly trying to emulate as a very, let's call it what it is, white heteronormative standard. Like that sequence would have ended with like, oh, like the good guy who like works for the solid tech firm who, you know, Gao clearly likes and they get together in the end as part of like a mutual relationship. And that's the end of Gao's arc and we focus more on Will. Alice Wu doesn't do that. Instead, it's like, no, she doesn't like any of these guys. And the one that she is fine with is, you know, solid, but he doesn't really offer anything beyond just like financial security. And it goes to that idea of one debunking a romance of a rom-com trope, but also debunking the idea of like, you know, Gao as a character is not necessarily meant to be happy, but that's kind of her arc in this. And she has to find other ways to be happy besides just finding a man. And I kind of bring it up selfishly too, because I need help understanding and unpacking that ending because Gao ultimately, um, it arrange, not arranges, but accepts a marriage proposal to a gentleman who, like you say, she feels financially secure in and she can imagine a future for her family, but is not, um, the person who she actually feels love for and who, who we realize like through a letter that Will receives, um, it's somebody else that they know like can you help me understand like how did the love of gao like is this the father of the baby well no it's not because we find in the end it's not help me help me unpack this 
So in the end, it's young you, the guy delivering the herbs who stands up. Why you? <laughs> like not young me, you, old, because there's old you and yes. there's young you. Why you? Um, and I remember the initial scene, which was the both grandparents, old you and grandpa, and they were talking and they were like, oh, did you notice that um, your daughter's been feeling sick lately? And I think that he's dancing around the subject of the pregnancy, but immediately the grandpa writes it off as like men as menopause or, or the other way or vice versa. But I expected old you to be the one that she was going to marry. I didn't expect either of them. I thought it was actually going to be the guy who she winds up with, um, uh, Cho. Like, I thought it was going to be that thing of just like, oh, she is, and that's why she doesn't want it because she's ashamed of it. No, it's that idea of like, no, she's very clearly in love with this younger guy. And again, dissuading TV tropes, like the older woman with the younger guy, that's a kind of flip on it. And I kind of enjoy that. But I love the actual wedding scene of just like it all devolving into chaos because none of these people can actually understand the idea of just, no, Gal wants to marry this guy and no one gets it. Exactly. At that wedding scene, um, we see explosions, eruptions of emotion, not from Gao and her love, or not only from Gao and her love, but from the gossiping older women of the of the um, of, of the people who were there. Because uh, immediately, they're the ones who stand up after uh, Gao says that she wants to love this younger man. They're they're proclaiming that they've been unhappy for months, or other people are. Um, there's just so much emotion there that you realize like it, it was all it was all like at a tipping point at a boiling point because of the pressures they apply on each other i also wanted to bring up like the bus scene on that because i love the idea that you i didn't get to mention this earlier but like the whole bedroom scene where will is properly coming out to gal is maybe one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the movie if not the heart most heartbreaking scene and then to get that bus scene later on of just like the mother and daughter just laughing at the ridiculous of the situation and rebonding over their connection like it's a great palate cleanser for the end of the movie. And it goes back to that idea of Alice, Alice Wu wanted to make a rom-com. And this is kind of how you do that is like upbeat in the tone a little bit. Yeah. On the city bus, you got uh, the mother who's like the runaway bride now because she's just sitting on the city bus in her wedding gown. And then uh, her gay daughter just sitting several feet away from her. And I wondered why they, they chose to do that because even as it's shot, they are not pictured in the same frame. Um, they're just constantly talking to each other, you know, kind of off screen. Um, and if we had more time on this pod, maybe you and I would be like, well, what's the significance of that? But I definitely felt like that was a choice. It had to have been. Um, and then we get the ro- the familiar romance rom-com uh, wrap up, which is you got to go catch Vivian before her plane the leaves. The airport you, scene. The airport scene. The stop that, stop that flight. Um, but this, this, this is 2004 actually... and yet there's still no PSA. <laughs> This one has a different turn because um, what I thought I was going to get was the familiar queer tragedy of, hey, we're going to be in love throughout this film. But then at the end, one of us is going to die or our love is just going to kind of plummet and um, shatter to pieces, which I expected because Vivian completely like offers an ultimatum to uh, a, a Will who has just raced through the airport to try and catch her. And she just says, you want me to stay? Then kiss me here and now in front of all these people. And Will can't do it. So what does Vivian do? She turns her beautiful head around with all that hair and gets on that plane and goes to wherever she went, wherever opportunity took her for her four-year contract as a ballet instructor. Um, But then we get a time jump and we get three months later and we see that um, familiar faces are re-entering each other's lives. And it's their, um, I think it's called, uh, is it called Planet China? It's called Planet China. It's called Planet China, and they're having um, they're having a get together where 
it seems like generationally, this is a place where it's like a major dance or a celebration. And to me though, it seemed like the type of thing where all of the married couples would kind of stand off on the edges and anyone who is single or like the prospective singles would kind of be in the center and they switch partners while they dance. And they're all like essentially, um, like testing the waters with other partners to see if they, if anything's a catch or to see who pairs who with who. Um, and in that setting, that's when Will and Vivian have their first dance together, causing certain members to leave and causing others to get up and dance right alongside them. And I, I loved that moment. I thought that that was a beautiful ending to this film. Yeah, and it, it goes to that idea of like, yeah, some people won't approve of you, but like a vast amount of people will if you're clearly in a relationship and you love and respect one another, there should be no problem with that. And a lot of people do stay. And, you know, we get that, ep- we get that epilogue at the end is basically just one long joke. But I like the idea of like, you're right. A, a queer drama slash rom-com getting a happy ending was rare at that time, is still rare today. And I think just giving us that, even with the cliche of the time jump in the airport sequence, like I can't fault it for that, even though I was that happy at the end. Going back to the idea that the half of it is a spiritual sequel to this, that, you know, this is that this film was an idea of a love letter to Wu's mother, that it was an idea to her trying to come out to one another, and that half of it was very much an idea of her younger self and what she would want to do with that. I will ask you the obvious question of like, which do you prefer between Wu's two movies? But beyond that, the idea of are there any similarities that you see between the two? Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, there's, there's something so precious about this film, especially, especially experiencing it for the first time and understanding um, uh, just its place in, in queer film history. Uh, Let me have one note before I decide, although I think I'm leaning towards the half of it. Um, And that was, I was watching a interview just to understand some directors better. I wanted to throw in an interview of Alice Wu talking about saving face 15 years later. And this was actually a Zoom call. It's on YouTube if you want to search it up, but it's on uh, Zoom. And while she's being interviewed about the half of it, uh, surprise guest in Lin Chen, uh, Joan Chen and Michelle Krusek, uh, they all hop on the call and start talking to Alice Wu just about the impact of this film and looking back on it uh, in a 15 year kind of like celebration. Um, and that's that was a wonderful interview. But the one note that she had that stuck with me was like that she doesn't really believe in sequels. Like if it's a planned out series, like a trilogy, then of course she thinks that, you know, it fits um, cinematically and it can be done effectively. But for the mere purpose of, hey, I enjoyed these characters and audiences want to see them interact again. Oh, okay, give them, give them this situation. She's like, that to me is not, um, you know, I, I won't misquote her, but she just said that she doesn't believe that sequels should happen if it's just for the sake of um, keeping, you know, those characters together. Because she says uh, the way that sequels can really be effective is if those characters just live on with you. And as the audience, you're continuing to tell those stories. You're continuing to have those thoughts that they left you with. That's the real sequel. It's like how that sits with you. And so walking away from Saving Face, I will think about these characters. And that can be, you know, the spiritual sequel of Saving Face. Um, and, and then comparing it to the half of it. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I I think that I am leaning more towards the half of it, but I can't tell you why. I think it's just got that special place and it marked its, it's marked its territory on my heart very quickly. So I'm not, I'm not kicking it out. For me, the half of it, I think is better for two reasons. One, I think it's more environmentally natural. I understand the approach of saving face and I understand its relevancy and respect it, you know, greatly. We'll get to the ratings and I'm going to rate it high, but half of it, I just think number one, it's the best is one of the best moves of 2020 by far. Uh, but beyond that, I just think it's a more, it's a more naturalistic, realistic, and more embracing portrait of young queer love and young, uh, young Asian American identity that I think is just more nuanced by 
the years that Alice Wu spent away, we didn't actually mention that she took years away from film after this to take care of her mother. And that's why she came back to do the half of it was an idea of, I come back to re-examine myself and I need to tell the story for myself, which I think provides another another contextualization to the idea of the half bit in Saving Face between one another and Wu's very direct assumption of filmmaking, something that I really respect and I just thought we'd get across before we get into ratings. Uh, but why don't we get into ratings? I think for purposes of its queer storytelling and its exceptional characters and wonderful performances, um, all while, like I said, making me feel like I was a part of the city and understanding the community, um, this movie is quite easily a eight in my book. Um, I think it, it does a lot for its time and um, it's got a kick-ass cast behind it. So uh, more Alice Wu pictures, please. I know you took a break, but we're happy to have you back and... Um, yeah, I, I think this movie would resonate with a lot of people. Um, it's one of those universal movies uh, that we've talked about before, like in the movie Pariah. And also just, it's just a uh, perspective, like being able to see this rom-com and not it just be um, the, you know, what we've seen before, which is like the the carbon copy is just going to be um, heavily American and heavily just white. Like this time we had some change and I'm so happy that it's all dominated by a female cast. Yeah, I'm going solid eight and a half with this. Uh, you're right. It doesn't carbon copy, and yet it kind of does. It takes, I think, all of the best structural aspects of rom-coms and turns the ones that don't need to be emphasized on their heads beyond the fact that, again, like you mentioned, kick-ass cast, all, mostly Asian-American, um, just a trio of great women in the, in the lead roles, all different female performances, all different aspects of the Asian-American and queer identities. Wu's identity is so personified in this movie, and I understand why it has gotten such a reputation in both Asian American and queer spaces for this time. Uh, we didn't even mention this was the first Hollywood movie in 11 years since Joy Luck Club to primarily focus on an Asian American cast and emerging, an Asian American family, which I guess goes for its significance. You know, it goes to why it influenced, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and a lot of the Asian cinema that we're getting today. Um, but it, for me, it's really good. It doesn't quite work on an innovative level beyond, like, again, the casting and creation behind it. It has its place in film history that I think we should be recognizing. And Alice Wu, don't take 16 years to direct another project. We need something from you soon. Of course, uh, Saving Face is available right now, of course, on VOD, but also on Amazon Prime if you'd like to go check it out there. Uh, check it out there. And if you want to be, you know, an Alice Wu completionist for other film, the half of it is currently on Netflix. That'll do it for episode four of Directorial Debuts. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this experiment uh, for the last couple episodes. I hope you've enjoyed the last couple. And if you haven't, why not go check those out? We talked about uh, Matt Reeves as the pallbearer. We talked about D. Reese's Pariah. And we talked about Brad Bird's The Iron Giant. Uh, go check those out on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or RSS feed at Plot Devices. Check it out there. And why not like leave a rating or a comment? There's rating or comments there. We'd love to hear how we're doing, if you guys have any thoughts on that. And you can also get in contact with us on social media, Plot Devices Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That's Plot Devices Pod. Uh, new stuff up there every week, headed by our social media man, uh, Noah Guzman. Where can people find you online and what you got going on in your life? follow on twitter if you want to talk movies and uh related nonsense that i just tweet every now and then um you can follow me at noah's plotting i don't know why i'm having word vomit right now but fourth wall break we've been recording this for a long time we're both yeah. really tired but, <laughs> but, but last but not least if you would like to follow me in all of my shenanigans you can follow me at the movie king 45 on twitter and instagram that's at the movie king 45 on twitter and instagram follow my band uh, at Cablebox underscore music uh, you can find all of our live gig information, weird stuff, and hopefully recorded music coming out very soon. We're trying, please, I promise. Uh, you can also follow my content on ASU Odyssey. Uh, more stuff will be coming from both of us. And of course, follow the podcast, Plot Devices. We have said all the things, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. So with that being said, episode four of Directorial Debuts is complete. We 
will be back next time with another episode. My name is Brandon King. That is Noah Guzman. This has been Directorial Debuts. I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.